All right, this is episode 20 of Pals with Bill Wattman, and we have uh, my neighbor Mac Primo here today. Um, you know, you, you like the title Maker, Stuff Maker. Stuff Maker. Maker's yeah. a little... Pretentious? Um, marketed. Overly marketed <laughs> at this point. I, I would, so I, Stuff Maker is the, the namer, the nomer. Uh, my best friend Hunter, who I grew up with, known for 35 years at this point, is an architect. Yeah. And I think he coined that like a decade ago. You know, you know the, the, you got a friend named Hunter. Your name's Mac. You guys are like the the people yeah, with good names. We're like a '70s bandit troop. <laughs> I have uh, a niece and nephew, uh, uh, Bert and Agnes. They're they're like a vaudeville <laughs> duo, right? Yeah. Again, they could be. They, they, they has a little bit of the uh, like the a little bit of the what's the, the classic Bonnie and Clyde feel? Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting though because you're even on say your website. You just mash your name in all sort of, if somebody didn't know, it looks like could be one word yeah. from, from another world. Yeah. It's, it's certain people have names that are just sort of like handy to play with. Mac Yours Primo is, one of those. is, yeah. Mac Primo is a pretty, like, no matter what I do, I'm kind of never going to live up to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. it's like, I honestly, I should be like, I should be, I should be really good at surfing. Like <laughs> a- absolutely killer at surfing. Yeah. And I can't surf. Um, so it's like, there's in certain genres, there's like already a letdown, but, um, my, my real name is Michael, but I got Mac. My mom used to call me Mike. And one day she called me Michael and I replied to her. My name's not Mackle. It's Mac. Cause I couldn't pronounce. Oh, that's cute. And that's, um, and that's duck. I, I was two. I have no recollection of it whatsoever. It'd be funny if I said I was 14, but I was two. And so, and it just stuck. So I don't, no one ever calls me. I, if someone says Michael, then I know it's like telemarketer or an insurance agent or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You could be like, you should call up and like tell her and get your name changed to Mac legally. Yeah. You know, then I wouldn't have that defense of knowing when (laughs) someone's calling to ask me for money or something. Uh, so when you were moving around a lot when, as a kid and you, you know, you're, you, you went to RISD, right? Yes. So you must've been for lack of a better word, an art nerd in school. Oh, were definitely. You? Yeah. Were you like a shop art nerd? Cause a lot of your stuff is materials yeah. based. No, I'm all self-taught shop wise. Okay. That came from when I moved to New York in 1995, my room collapsed. There was a heroin addict living above us who let her bathtub overflow East village class. Oh my God, like in the movies. Yeah. And so I had to move out and my buddy, who I had gone to camp with, uh, who randomly showed up at our house at a Halloween party one night, was like, hey, um, we have the space and we need a roommate if you know how to build a room. So I called my buddy Amos and I was like, first thing I said to Rich was like, totally, oh, I can build a room. Absolutely, I know. And then I called my buddy Amos from college who does know that kind of stuff. And I was like, dude, how do you build a room? So we built a room and that's kind of where materials started really coming into play. I studied animation and illustration in... in, uh, in college. Now, growing up though, my mom, my, my mom taught me how to like, you know, find a stud and put an anchor in sure. and build a yeah, shelf yeah, and all yeah. that. So the basic stuff. Yeah. It was always very like, you know, the, the sort of general handiness was always there, but then that came into form in like finding work when I first moved here in the nineties and sort of sure. was either at equal times, either a director yeah. or a builder. So more theater at the time. Uh, directing? Yeah. No, I got, so I got, I came here in 95. I got into directing, um, pretty young with a very small production company called The Farm. 
And they were a direct-to-client creative and production. Very small, husband and wife team. Tiny little company. But we did some neat stuff. This is pre-internet, <laughs> but at the advent of content. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Content with a capital C. Yeah, it was just this like, <laughs> yeah. you know, pseudo.com existed and stuff yeah. like that. So, um, and like we were doing stuff for local cable in New York, in New York City. And, um, you know, I was 23, 24. And after a few years of that, it started going well, but I kind of didn't like the industry. So I left and I became a carpenter okay. uh, for a few years. And then that, but the whole time I was doing art and then sort of that carpentry started to mix its way back into the making and the, the creation of yeah moving my art out of a sketchbook into three-dimensional form. It's, it's interesting that, you know, you say, uh, do you know how to make a room? You didn't, but you said, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. It feels like there's so much of fake it till you make it in every, Absolutely. in every success story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, when I got out of, I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston, got out of school, music school, had enough web and internet stuff because I was a computer nerd. Mm-hmm. And uh, a guy at the National Park Service down in DC that I knew said, you know, we want to do this database driven site and we want to build it in cold fusion. Like it's like a six month job. Uh Do you want to come down and do that? You know, could you do that? Sure. Totally. Sure. Absolutely. Let's do it. Have no idea how to use cold fusion. Figure it out. Yeah. Figure it out on the train down. (laughs) Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. There there is a ton of fake it to me. I mean, I think that's now that I'm older and working with younger, sorry. Now that I'm older and working with younger folks, I feel like, I can see the fake it till you make it. You can tell when they're bullshitting you. But but it's not bullshitting. I can see when they're good at fa- yeah. saying, you know what I mean? And if it's like, if I if I see Trust that- Trust that they'll figure it out. Yeah. If I see that confidence, I'm like, that's how you do it. I don't know how else you would do it. Nobody comes to anything prepared. I mean, yeah. like when I had kids, that's like the ultimate fake it till you make it. Because sure. you now like own a human. Not Well, you're yeah, I get it. in charge of yeah. the existence yeah. of, you know, sustained existence of this human. And it's like, dude, if you're not faking until you're making it in that, you're, I mean, no one's prepared for that. And it's interesting that you and I have a commonality, which is sort of this autodidactic nature of let's just figure out how to do stuff, right? You know, yeah. right before we started, I was talking about this short film I'm making. Mm-hmm. I've never written anything. I've never <laughs> directed, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, I do stills. I've messed around with video, but not seriously. Yeah. But even then, I what we've done is, is good. It's better than a lot of people who seem mm-hmm. to think that they know what they're doing. Right. Is, right? And you kind of go, really? Like, yeah, this is like, it's, it's really just a matter of just doing it. Right? I think making really good stuff isn't that hard. I think making excellent stuff is extremely hard. Yes. And there's a difference there that is, sure. you know, reverse exponential, if that makes any sure. sense. Yep, and, yep. and I think, you know, um, building confidence in any genre or being good at something can beget other confidence. Yep. And I think you being talented enough to get into Berkeley probably built a level of confidence where you're like, well, sure, I can write that. Yeah, Why we can not? figure this out. Yeah, but then I think to say that, like, now you're going to win an Oscar or for me to say, you know, whatever, you know, sure, I can build a room and then and then say, well, you know, I don't know. What, build a house. Some, yeah, someone wants me to now redesign their hip interior East Village restaurant, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Like, it doesn't, it's not quite there. Right, right, right. Um, but I do think that for, like the first step can be decent and the second step can be actually really good and better yeah. than a lot of people who do that professionally. Right. And then the excellent step is like the 10,000 hours. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you find that um, – how was I going to put this? Do you find that people judge you based upon the best of your work? I, a friend of mine is a film editor. It's you know people who edit films – not every film some filmmaker makes is great. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Not every minute of, of dialogue somebody writes is great. Unless yeah. you're like Aaron Sorkin or something, but like, you know, <laughs> and then people come and they say, 
you know, this thing you made for us isn't as good as the three best things you've ever made in yeah. your career. Yeah. You can't guarantee that kind of stuff, right? All you can right. do is walk in doing it the best you can and, and, and trying to understand what they want and give it to them. There, but is there an expectations game that there you- is there just, there's also so many factors cause it's like the script comes into play. A lot of times in commercial, it's reactive. You know, I see the script and then sure we might alter the script and I'm populating the script with the concepts that drive the, that, the, that writing forward and those ideas, the, the visual concepts that drive that, um, the written concept forward. But sometimes, you know, the, the, the creative just isn't as good. Sometimes the concept, people say, I want this to, you know, have that feeling that this other film you made has, but the opportunity for empathy to character isn't written in. So it's never going to, you know, so the expectations, especially when you have a distinctive visual style are, are, uh, that, 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 the expectation maybe that that particular visual style is what's going to give yeah. that film. And in what the that end, film the, is. the style ends up feeling superficial on top it can, of that. If core. it's not appropriate, if right. it's not like, if it's not the right move, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, you know, if, if, if it's the right move for the, for the concept, if it advances the concept, then it can work really well. If it's yeah. just cool looking, it's usually going to end up feeling superficial. Fail. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you, you know, it's interesting. You, you started in animation mm-hmm. and, even your your cutting style in the stuff that you do feels very choppy in that yeah. animated way. Yeah, absolutely. Is that, is that just because that comes naturally to you, or is that because that's the style that people have expected from you, or you no. know, some combination of all those things? I, maybe it's a combination of some of those all those things. I mean, I think definitely think any one of us, every one of us, uh, starts creating moves and and then self imitates because right. of uh, positive reinforcement. Sure, and I just think yeah. that's the sort of like approval animal we are and sure. the economic animal we are. Sure. Um, I think when you become like a tribute band to yourself, that's the problem. And that's, yep. you know, that's where you have to, I, in my opinion, you have to go back to curiosity and question yep. why you're doing it. But in terms of my, the way that that works, I think it's a, the way that my, my cutty brain works. I think that's how I think. I think in, in those little, that makes sense to me. It yeah. feels comfortable. It's like, I don't know how to put it other than quantum of ideas. It's like you're, you're chopping things up. That way. It's the ADD, but it's the organized ADD. It's like extremely knolled, extremely organized chaos. You yeah. know what I mean? And I know it sounds like, you know, here's an, another artist who goes, my brain, it's so crazy. You know, I can't handle it, man. You know, except yeah. from through my art. And it's not that I think everyone has that. It's just, I have a, in particular way, a way that they organize their thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I have a medium that I've found that, I feel it, uh, uh, it it represents the sort of like movie that my brain makes very uh, deftly. Very, it's a, it's a good match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that, but you and know, I've also been inside your it, studio, and it's yeah. it's very organized, though. It's yeah, it's very organized, but there's like a trillion things and everything's organized chaos. It is, yeah. It's there's a there's a million. Well, I know where everything is. It's just it's like a very neatly organized catalog of crap. Yeah. Um, I think the, another route, the edit style though, just back to that real quick. I also learned on a Steenbeck, which is sure. cutting yep. film. Yep. And um, I think there is this, I don't know if some of that, has, it's so much easier to go crazy, you know, digitally, but the analog stuff, I think 
when I was cutting film and cutting the way that I do, which is very short segments, I could actually hold the object of the film. If I was cutting something 12 frames, yeah. I could hold something that's- You knew it was you know, eight inches long eight, and that was yeah. about right. And it, so these, those kind of patterns, I think, influenced the, the sort of time mapping in my head that yeah. I had it with. You ever, I mean, yeah, it seems like it's about like half second cuts, a lot of, a lot a lot of, of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, in a, so in a 30 second spot, there can be 60, 60, 80 frames, yeah. 60, 80 cuts. Yeah. And it, I mean, there's a variance in pace. I think the whole thing is if I have 60 cuts evenly spaced out through the whole thing, then I might as well have two. It's the same, you know, yeah, it's sure. again, it's in service to what the emotion you're trying to evoke or what mood or feeling or sense yeah. you're trying to evoke. So that variance in pace and cutting to something that takes a while in slow motion and then going back and putting 12 images in one second yeah. can have a very powerful give and take, like anything studying contrast. Yeah. You know? Do you ever, uh, when you're doing something like even with the little doc films or even the ads where there's a piece where you said, you know, there's, there's this idea that I haven't visualized correctly yet. And so I'm going to put a spacer in there for, for, you know, like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah okay. Especially I have that opportunity with the, like the personal projects I make yeah. because what I, I shoot and edit, it's like shooting is kind of a backward extension of editing in my yep. opinion. And so I've done stuff where I've like built a prop, animated it, put it in the edit, done the sound design for that, uh, not liked that prop remade the prop, refilmed it, and dropped it back into an already existing edit. So there isn't a linear nature to either the prop building, it's shooting, iterative. the whole thing is, yeah, when yeah. I have that luxury. You know, on an yeah. ad, you don't generally have that luxury. Well, yeah, so. but, it, but what's interesting about it is that I think that somebody who works the way you do, it, it, it's a luxury, but that actually has a lot of power. And it's, if, if, they, if they aren't giving you that kind of space, they're probably ham-fisting you. The you problem know? is, though, with, you know... They can't give me that kind of space sometimes because you can't, you know, technically I can't say, well, I'm just going to go back to my studio and fuck around for a while because yeah, they're yeah. like, well, what's the union? You know, there's like yeah. on, a, on a big ad like that. Yeah. So we're trying to find workarounds that make it an art department thing or whatever, because that is sort of a, that iterative nature. It, it, it does give it that. Like when you look, sometimes people, like you were saying a little, a little while ago, has there ever been a thing where it's like, oh, that's not as good as your best three things. Yeah. You know, a lot of times the ads, they, they look and feel cool, but one, they're ads, you yeah. know, so it's never quite going to be as visceral a, a, a thing as like an you know, independent film. Sure. Uh, but um, a lot of times that little bit that they're missing is the opportunity to basically finish the thing and say, yeah. now I want to go back and really fuck around with it. And, yeah. and the, that timing and the sort of logistics that is the ad world isn't quite there. I'm trying to figure that out right now. I'm trying to figure out how to like, how to make ads that have that third layer. Yeah. Um, and we're, you know, it's, I've got a great, t the company that I work with is phenomenal and we're trying to figure it out, but it's, it is kind of a different take in the, uh, the sort of the process that the industry is very used to. So changing a process that an industry is used to is not very easy. Yeah. 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 The, you seem to work a lot. You seem to work on your own stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're not working on something for somebody else, mm -hmm. Do you have, you have procrastination issues or anything like that? Or do you almost, is working too much your problem? I, no, I don't feel like working too much is my problem. The procrastination issues have moved from like when I was you know, a student to like, oh, I'll deal with that later, to like months or years. Oh, okay. So I have like, <clears throat> I have a, I'm fueled by a joy of life and fear of death simultaneously. Sure. And I know that my to-do list when I perish, whenever that will be tomorrow or 800 years or 80 years or whatever. However, I don't think I'm a robot, but 40 years from now, 50 years from now, whenever I die, my to-do list will be enormous. And all of the things on my to-do list will be the things I want to do. You know, like yeah. I have so many projects I want to yeah. do. What keeps you from doing them? 
time. Well, I'm doing other ones. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. or, or, you know, especially with the way that it works, like an ad comes up. Like I, I just pitched two, I had two projects I was talking about yesterday. I had a meeting in the afternoon for like a $2 million commercial. Yep. And then I had a meeting in my studio for like pennies. And it's like an anarchist political film thing that yeah. I'm doing, you know? And it's like, I want to do both. your druthers, you know? which one's more interesting to you? You know, they had, they share such different qualities. Yeah, sure. Um, if, if money was not an issue at all, uh, the, the more anarchaic one, but sure. just for content wise. But the sure. thing about the, you know, million dollar commercial thing is like, you got money to play with. Well, that's exactly it. In this industry, yeah. you can, then you go like, one of the ideas I have was <clears throat> building an entire, like an, a literal enormous shoebox yeah. that like a skate hyper beast sneaker nerd computer dude like has a living room in and he skates inside and then the whole thing on a dolly moves and then we see him chilling out inside yeah. and like i'm not gonna build that in my fucking studio hollywood to build that yeah. thing so you know that one but then the disruptive nature of the other project i was talking about in the evening has like a political responsibility sure. and like the the kind of responsibility that i think art owes the world yeah. it has that in there and so that that i want to participate in Direly, because I want to, I, I want to, uh, I want to reflect uh, the kind of art. I want to be the kind of artist that does what artists should do. You know, a lot of friends of mine. You know, I don't have children. You do. A lot of my friends do. Who who are people who make stuff like you do? Do you find that having kids? forces you, makes you, I guess the, do you find yourself being more time efficient because you're busy with the kids absolutely. that it actually kind of makes snaps everything into focus? It a- absolutely does. And you, a lot of the, you know, you cut away a lot of the fat. You almost get more done even though yeah. you're busier. Yeah. At times, I mean, it fluctuates, you know, sure. at times, um, at times, you know, depending on, uh, what age they are, but yeah, that does, it does really make you focus in the sense of like, you know, you only have so much time. And then you also, you just, you, one thing it really helped with was learning how to say no, which is always a problem. Cause I mean, sure. it's like, you know, as a freelancer, I'm sure, you know, the same thing. You say yes to absolutely everything. And then almost on a dime, you have to figure out how to say no in order yeah. to protect yourself from bad decisions or people trying to take advantage of you or whatever sure. it is. And it's, um, you know, I find that that being insane and being a freelancer share the same exact definition, which is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Sure. And so it, the 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 switch kids help that switch because <laughs> yeah. you kind of don't have a choice. You know what I mean? Like now, yeah. I do have to be more efficient. Um. So yeah, that that did help. I also think though that I think as you get older, I got older at the same time I had kids. You know what I mean? Those like the past ten years or eleven years that I've had kids. Um. I bet if I didn't have kids, I feel like some of those switches would have changed. I think some of that would have happened. I think some of that efficiency would have come just with getting older and getting the wisdom of whatever industry you're in yeah. and getting some success and knowing how to like balance that success against quote unquote opportunity yeah. that someone may present to you. I think you get more efficient with your time. Kids are one thing in, in a life that can do that. But I think, you know, like looking at the quality of your work, I think your skill set has probably enabled you to be more efficient with your time because you know what to yeah. say no to. Yeah, and I you know, I know what's right and I know what's wrong yeah. for me and I, I know how to do, you know, what I what. It's funny though that like even when I was talking to you last week, I think it was um that that there are times when I go in and I still question why someone would want to hire me yeah. even though I'm one of the guys who does what I do. You yeah. know, I'm very you know, it's like no, they're yeah. asking you because you're one of the 500 people who could do this job. Yep. You know, it's, yeah. it's really interesting though, how your minds play games with you. I feel that like way. that's, uh, I guess it would be called self doubt. 
yeah. <clears throat> remains, you know, I think that sort of is there Imposter forever. Syndrome. Imposter syndrome is kind of there. I mean, I, I've, you feel that? Yo, absolutely. All the time. And, yeah. but I, I don't know if it's quite as much an imposter syndrome as like, it's like <clears throat> somewhere in between where I'm like, <clears throat> I don't feel like an imposter, but I do feel like, oh man, I think they're probably better candidates for this or other people who, you know, and yeah. so it's like, I, I'm not, I, I've moved past imposter, but I've moved to like, you know, I, I don't think I'm the best at this particular thing. There yeah. are, there are other people that can do this better. Although at I, the same time, like if you don't get those opportunities, you're never going to get to the level the other people right, you're talking about right. are. But, then, but well, that's equally shared by, you know, an probably overextended or over <clears throat> um, inflated sense of confidence where there are other times when I'm like, it makes no sense that I'm not doing that because I'm the best in the world at that. Yeah, you know what sure. I mean? so, oh, yeah, yeah. And that, it's interesting how that uh, vacillates from on one in one moment you can have that very much <laughs> imposter syndrome, and then in the other just be like not even singing it on high or even telling them, but just quietly, privately in your head, just confidently yeah. with no consequence to anyone out there, knowing that you are the best in the world. <laughs> uh, um, you're speaking my language. Yeah, it's it's this, it's strange, right? It's yeah. not in the middle. It's yeah. one or the other. It's yeah. binary. Almost. Yeah, it's strange. It is a strange. The, <laughs> a lot of your machines, a lot of your stuff that I've seen is baseball-based. Mm-hmm. Where's the baseball come from? Well, that's happened in the past, probably that's pa- happened mainly in the past two years. Um Grew up loving baseball. Uh, went to a hundred baseball games with my dad. Um, it's a way that we connect. I have a wonderful and open relationship with my father, so we didn't necessarily need baseball to facilitate that relationship. Yeah. It was just a you know it wasn't a those wonderful. one of those. Uh, the only thing I have with my father is these baseball yeah, games. Yeah, it wasn't that at all. It was like I have a great relationship with my father and baseball. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. So then we shared that. Um, and then, uh, and I've, I've always loved the sport. I absolutely love it. I've, I've listened to baseball. Like I watch probably, you know, I watch the postseason, but I listen yeah. all year on the radio. A lot of baseball fans that I know listen to baseball. Yeah. They prefer to listen to baseball. I absolutely prefer to listen to baseball. It's one of the few sports that actually does translate to listening. And it's in, it's theater and it's insane. And in here in New York, very few people like the two, uh, the two, our, our two radio announcers. I love them. And they're in they're like, ridiculous they talk about old broadway plays sure. the last thing the old yeah. musicals from the 60s like why the demo that they're speaking to what i'm anything want anything to do with that i don't know yeah but it's just this and and it's so weirdly long and there's so much downtime and advertising has been so uh woven into the fabric of a baseball uh uh audio presentation it's actually kind of comical it's very it's very interesting to just sort of like let their let that go it's like you know sometimes when you're listening to a podcast you really got to listen sure. baseball you sort of do and sort of don't and it can be there it's like chopin but you and, know, you, with and you can tell when something's happening because the, absolutely the timbre of the whole thing changes it and you can, oh peek yep. up listen yep. to what's going yeah. on and so that you know that aspect is i love it it's like my favorite thing is a day game you know during the summer one o'clock, I'm in my studio yeah. working on something and, and I know the afternoon's been earmarked, just make art yeah. and a day game's on. It's like I'm in heaven. Um, a couple of years ago, I had a dream that I should make a machine that lays down a bunt. I, I had a, I've never really done anything with a dream. <laughs> um, and so that, about two and a half years ago, set off a series of projects that had to do with, I guess, reification or like turning baseball into machinery, taking something I love or respect or consider, quote unquote, innate, turning it around, deconstructing it, reconstructing it, um, and finding metaphor from it, right. um, potentially, and 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 uh, 
sort of that discovery process. So that's the past couple of years have been baseball heavy. I, I, can I ask you a technical question about yeah. those machines? Uh, I think that at least the bump machine was air-based, was blower-based? No, that one is, so it's a pitching machine. I bought a <laughs> oh, the pitching, pitching machine, was? machine. Yeah. The, okay. Well, the, the, the bunt machine is a pitching machine that I, I, the, I, I've encased in this whole wood structure that the projectile is a, the, the, the ball spits out of the machine and travels about three, three and a half feet through a tube that's yeah. connected to a wood structure that that's held that uh, sort of a loosely held bat is there the way that you're supposed to have bunt. the dampening. It's got to have exactly. Yeah. And that, and then hits the, hits the bat at the spot and the bats angled or the, the heights are angled are, are yeah. adjusted. So the ball's dug into the ground a couple feet in front of what would be home plate. So a, what's the initial angle. mechanism? The what's, what's pushing it's a pitching the, machine. It's like, Oh, it actually is a pitching. It's machine. an actual pitching. Machine. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I looked on how, like, how do I, how do I make one? How do I, you know, like, yeah. cause it's a wheel that spins really fast yeah. and you drop a ball and, and the wheel hit the, the ball hits the wheel in a compartment that rolls it, it can't, through. Yeah, yeah. That it can't squeeze out of any way other than straight this direction. Um, so I looked into making them and then I just started going to eBay and was like, you know, you can find the parts or you can find like one yeah. without the legs. And so it's that's like two what tires, it's a couple inches apart. That it, just yeah. There's that spin, or, yeah. or it's like one tire with, where the ball falls <clears throat> in a compartment that yep, it squeezes yep. it out of the top. So it's yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's just at the beginning of an idea like that though, will you think, okay, I know how to do the tube. I know how to do the bat, whatever it is, but like, how am I going to get that ball going? Like, is yeah. it, you know, is it that kind of process? And like, yeah, well, well, I could use that. I couldn't use an actuator or some kind of solenoid and pop I it. I started could, building stuff. I started yeah. playing. I bought, I got it. I had an old sander, uh, uh, a, uh, yeah, that's a very similar mechanism. And I attached a piece of, I attached a wood wheel to it and thought like, okay, can this fling it? Can it throw it? Yeah. And I built this whole thing and it's like the, what I learned about baseball pitching machines is they're fucking fast. Yeah. Like nothing I own in my shop, yeah. like. Everything else you tried just spit it out. The like RPMs nothing. and the power yeah. and the, yeah. the horsepower and the the yeah. the, the um, torque really with those RPMs is like vicious on a pitching machine. So it's like you, you know find, going and finding the motors. What I ended up like I figured out how to make it and then I looked for the motors online. Yeah, and I was like, well, this is like eight times as expensive. And then that's for a particular pitching machine, the real one, like not real ones, but like the professional ones, right. like the low end professional pitching machines are like $800. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it was a matter of finding sort of crappy ones that I could modify or adjust or build into because yeah. I didn't want to spend, you know, thousands of dollars. It's, making this. it's interesting because well, the, I did so there's that. a lot of, there's a lot of trial and error. Oh yeah. In that kind of yeah. stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, I, I do almost no sketching. I mean, like I have you just start picking stuff up and I just start making it. shit. Yeah. And I draw like when my do my ads, I do all my own storyboards. Like yeah. I, I went to school for illustration as well as animation. So like I draw, sure. but like the only time I'm drawing stuff out is when I'm figuring out like in the middle of building, I, the sketches are the, the like three dimensional, you know what sure. I mean? I just start yeah, building yeah, yeah. and yeah. physical sketches. Yeah. And I mean, there's a physicality to all your work. I mean, obviously the video stuff is the video stuff, but even inside the video mm-hmm. stuff is a lot of stuff you've built, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and and you go to your studio, piles of wood, yeah. strips of baseball cards, 23 different Apple boxes, yeah. <laughs> you know, typewriters on the wall. Yeah. Like it, it almost feels as if you're one of those people from another age that <laughs> wants things to be real and in their hands. Has that always yeah. been a thing for you? Or? I, I, yes. Well, okay. Um, when that makes I, sense at all? It I, makes absolute sense. So okay. going back to my childhood as a 
kid, the, like, the first thing I was into really like super into was baseball. So my room was covered in baseball stuff. Then cars. I got really into cars like at nine. And I would get like Motor Trend magazines and cover my walls with cars. So this weird collage. And then, I mean, if you look back, it kind of looks like I was, you know, diseased of some sort. Like, so, like, what is the, you know, little crazy boy doing covering his walls with images? And then skating. You know, I was a lifelong sure. skater. And then yeah. that, like, lent itself to that yeah. over-the-top Cut up Transworld magazine. Maximalist yeah. aesthetic of everything. Sure. And that, then my walls were covered with that. So Got it's it. always been this sort of, like, but everything was, you know, it was neat. It wasn't, it wasn't sloppy, it, but it was covered. So having, like, masses of stuff around me um, that that has always felt very comforting having that sort of like stuff, physical stuff everywhere. Um, uh, a, a buddy of mine, an artist, I tremendously admire a guy named Mark Wagner uh, years ago, pretty much put it best when he said, things help me think. Yeah. And that's how I feel like having all that stuff around me. It's calming because I have pl- places for my mind to associate with in every corner that yeah. that that maximalism helps me that maximalism with reason helps me feel very comfortable and from a brainstorming point of view are there times when you sit in your studio and you're like god i don't even know where to start in this just look around until something grabs you and says now let's play with that piece of wood it, it, yeah it is but it's also a catalog so it's like I, when i say where do i start with this there's a there's a general idea and i know i the idea comes and i know which corner of the room to go to start sort of tangibilizing that idea you sure. know because like the typewriters are here the southern pine is in this compartment yeah. the long you know pieces of mahogany are over here the uh, wall of suitcases i have like some says circles that's a bunch of stuff that's circle based another stuff yeah. says metals it's all old weird metal bits and other things says rolls of things and it's rolls of things you know so it's like i've got these categories sure. categories and then the collage books i've got so I've, the idea is sort of the kernel of the idea will sort of push me to a section of the room where there's a pile of stuff that can then, you know, begin to snowball. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, it's I, my world. I mean, I shoot film from time mm-hmm. to time, but a 99% of what I shoot is digital. Just yeah. expediency in the today's yep. world. It's just, you know, I can't go to a big thing. You can't get Polaroids anymore. So I can't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the quality of say the camera that I use now is, looks like scanned four by five film. It's, yeah. You know, it's really good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everything that I have, everything that I need could fit on a single 12 terabyte right. hard drive. Everything right. I've ever done. I, I could walk out the door with a yeah. paperback book in my hand and have everything I've ever done. Yep. Do you ever fear that like, God forbid something happens to your quote unquote stuff. Yeah. Everyone else is safe. That, 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 that would be like a actual loss for you or, or would that, would that is, or is it just all ephemeral stuff? It's all just stuff that could be replaced or do you have an attachment to it? I have an absolute attachment to it. Have you ever heard of the dumpster project that I did a few yeah, years yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, the dumpster project was when I, I had to move to a smaller studio. I had to get rid of all my stuff. This is right after the economic meltdown a few years ago or a decade ago. Um, and so, uh, I didn't want to get rid of all my stuff. So, and I didn't want to put it in storage because that would be anathema to that's intended the reason I saved it. So, um, with the help of my friend, Jiffy Ewan and David belt, um, my two friends, we created a scenario where I had space and a dumpster and I filled that dumpster extremely meticulously organized all this stuff with the objects, the ephemera of my existence yep. prior to doing so. I photographed each one individually, wrote a little homage or a little, um, obituary for it, I guess, a little explanation of what it was and put those on a blog 
post. So there's yep. this catalog of everything, of all these meaningful things. And then I exhibited it, and it's currently kind of like, kind of rotting in upstate New York somewhere. So yeah. that's been a very long process where I took all this stuff, organized it meticulously and wanted to like put it in a dumpster to ostensibly throw it out, but then made that dumpster this sort of like, yeah. you Even know. Even getting rid of it was itself something with it. It was a taxonomy of my existence, the yeah. stuff that I had saved and collected, but and then and then was like motioned, winked at throwing it away because if it was in a dumpster, but I didn't really throw yeah, it away. Yeah, yeah. Does I it think, bother you that it's sitting somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I it bothered. This is one of those I, like moments when I'm like, I have no idea why a major museum didn't purchase that. You know, that's one of those. You yeah, know, yeah, you yeah, yeah. From, Like the self doubt. It was the, good. How much time we spent? It was whatever. Like, yeah. how could that be wasted? It, yeah, but you know, since then, <laughs> since then, now I do feel like. I think I would have dealt with that differently now because having gone through that process um, and now with all the stuff I have, I, I, I'm not as attached to stuff or it, you know, like that particular object as, as I used to be. Yeah. Um, that, that could be the growing up and fatherhood and all the rest of I think of a lot too. of it has to do with fatherhood because it's like, you know, I, I love nothing on this earth more than I love my yeah. daughters and they're changing. Yeah. And my 11-year-old Frida... Um, I loved her so dearly at six and that six year old is gone yep. forever. And yeah. that's a reality. And when she's 15, you're going to love the her at 11. Year old. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I, what I'm finding that's so amazing is I don't pine for that yeah. five year old or whatever. Sure. I miss her, yeah. but I'm way more in love with the 11 year old. Well, cause it's, you know, especially with, you know, I'm not, we're not going to get too far into your kids, but like you and I even talked about this the other day where, you know, they're, a, you're training future adults. Yeah. And that whole idea of them growing up, that's the point. Yeah. Where some people want to keep their kids' kids and all that. It's like, no, man, like your job is to guide these people into becoming yep. members of society and yep. figuring out what they want from life and how they want to live. And I think that there, so there's, there's beauty in watching the process. Yeah. And right? then there's beauty in, you know, two things about my, my mom always said, um, you don't raise children, you raise adults. Yep. And then I asked her once somewhere in the past decade of me being a father, what her favorite age was. And she said, without a, any hesitance, she said, oh, whatever age you are. And I told her, I was like, bullshit, mom. It's like, you like me better when I was six or, you know, whatever. Like yeah, it was, yeah. um, but I get that now because the thing is, it's, it's not about the people that they were. It's about the people that they're becoming and the people that they currently are. Sure, and it's yeah. so cool. And I think it's just cool to watch. It's cool to be part of, it, and it's cool to learn from them. And I yeah. think what, um, what I've learned the most personally uh, pointing it back at me for <laughs> from that is that the the stuff that goes away sort of physically or tangibly uh, still is part of a process of becoming of changing. So sure. it is not about the object; it's way more about the process. And so I think I've fallen out of love with some of the objects a little bit more. Yeah. Um, of recent, um, not stuff, not tangibility, yeah. not you know that that sort of visceral quality of holding something. But the particular, like the particular nature of the of the you know the heralded object, yep. is um, a little more fleeting. I, I wonder if 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 giving up on the preciousness of individual objects and looking at more of a process actually empowers the work, you know, to to a certain extent. I'm very it, curious to see. I actually have a series I want to make moving back, you know, five or ten years into like making object-based art as opposed to this weird experiential kick I've been on for the past few years um, of sort of divesting of like 
taking a lot of the old objects that I've been keeping and saving and saving just for the right collage and turning them into a piece that is not an homage to the meaning so much of that particular object I've saved, at least not an homage to the meaning outward. So if you were to have this piece, you wouldn't say, oh, clearly this is the whatever, you know, you wouldn't see in the piece the importance to me. You might, I would like to transfer it in an art language that can be important or to someone else for whatever meaning they bring to it, as opposed to this crazy loaded valuable object out of, you know, my personal history. Sort of, yes, it retains that history, but you don't need to know that. And is that even important to the power of the piece? Yeah. You know, and I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Was building sculpture and, and illustrations and stuff and then selling them as a commercial artist mm-hmm. kind of thing a large part of your plan at, at a certain no, point? No, I never had any economic plan with art. Okay. Which yeah. is, you know, now I'm lucky He's like, which to, is why I'm here today. Which is why I'm here today. <laughs> exactly. Which is why both of my children sleep in the basement. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I am lucky enough to have a... Um, I'm lucky enough to have an sort of artsy or crafty uh, profession as a commercial director and making these objects and being able to do commercial directing the way that I like to and doing a lot of the animation stuff um, that is fun, exciting, teaches me things. I really enjoy doing. I think I'm pretty good at it, and I make a good amount of money enough yeah. to then have the art world I don't, I don't have any monetary expectations within yeah. the art world. And so, subsequently, my art of the past few years has gotten like, I've made a machine that enacts a double play inside a room. It's right. a room-sized double play. I've, made, yeah. I've written and performed two one-man plays in the past five years, which is like, I'm not a fucking actor. You right. know what I mean? But yeah. I wanted to do this. Sure. I wanted to do this. I made you know, independent films. I did whatever the fuck I want. Yep, yep. You know, so. And, and uh, so what do you do with these things that you build Store them until I cannibalize them into another thing, and okay. then you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that is a good question. I mean, currently, right now, one of I the six four three machine, which is the yep. machine that does a double play inside a room, is traveled across the country and is in storage in California. I don't like storage as a concept. Nope. Uh, it just either feels, do something with it or get rid yeah, of it. Like so, sitting, having it sit there. Exactly. What's the point? So, I mean, I just finished that thing last year, not quite a year ago. So I think it's got some shelf life. It's got a little while. Yeah. And then I'll probably take the wood apart and turn it into something else, you yeah. know, and, and whittle it down and not literally whittle it down, but it'll become another machine. It'll become another machine. Yeah. And, um, everything eventually gets, you know, like the props that I build for the, the, uh, films that I make, they sit in my studio for a while. Then I take part of them and make something else and eventually another part. And then I sort of take the whole thing. But they're apart really or, interesting yeah. sculptures under themselves. Yeah. I mean, we were in the studio the other day, you had something with a bunch of valves on it, right? Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like, that would be beautiful on a shelf somewhere yeah. as just a piece of sculpture. Well, I need a, I need, I need someone else to move that for me. Cause I, you know, it's like yeah. the list of things we're talking about the to-do list, the, the list of things to do for me. Uh, one of them is not, you know, find buyers for my art. I just, I, there, I, I have so many, only so many hours and that one is just not something that yeah. I feel. And I've, I've had people come to you and say, that, Hey, I'd love to get Yeah. Something. Just some, I mean, I just, I actually just, uh, um, ended my relationship with, uh, I had a gallery that was representing me for, you know, 12 or 15 years and, um, uh, amicably ended the relationship because yeah. my art, has changed from uh, what his programming is, and there were we weren't mutually benefiting each other. And the part, you know, it's, it was a strange move. It was a strange thing to do because as a young artist, you know, the golden ring is yep. the gallery. Have representation. Like, if I get a gallery, then I'm an artist. And yeah, I've yeah. always found it ironic, even prior to gaining representation, that the hallmark or the crowning moment of becoming a quote unquote real artist is when you get a gallery, therefore, 
a real artist, the moment you become a real artist is bestowed upon you by a decidedly market-driven force. Yes. Galleries are, a, sure. are you know, now they yeah. they care about art oh, and they oh, love art and they yeah. want to foster you. The business of art is it's bullshit. It's, it's a like, business. It's really it's is, a, yeah. It's a business. It has nothing to do with art. And the reason that I broke up with my gallery, the reason I ended the, the official representation, you know, we're still friends and everything, yeah. was because it wasn't, it wasn't, there was no, there was no business advantage to it. Sure. Now, if I want to talk about art and go hang out with him and have a great conversation yeah. and he's still interested in my work, it just wasn't fitting. The clientele that he had in my work, it wasn't a match. So I, I would love to find someone else to, to represent me if they feel that they can represent me to, you know, the kind of clientele, but like those guys are experts. People who sell art, what they do is know people who buy art. And yep. that's a full time job. Yep. And that's a, that's a lifestyle. Like you are, that's a passion. You yep. know, that's like, that's a job with a passion. No, nobody who's an art dealer is like, here's an easy way to make money, but they love art and they love making deals. Yep. And it's like, that's a great place. I'm not, I, I love making art. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like making deals and I don't frankly love art that much, but I love yeah. making art. You know yeah. what I mean? So, um, that's, that's not, I'm not the person to sell my art. I'm, it's funny. It's like in the magazine world, it's, you know, the, the, the job of a magazine is to sell readers to advertisers, essentially, yeah. not the other way around. Right. Right. And it, you don't think of it as a reader, but that's actually what it is. I yeah. feel like the art uh, uh, sales world, the gallery world is kind of similar, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not about the artists, it's about the people who are buying it. It really is. Well, and the relationships that you foster as an art dealer are with the people that are buying art because that yeah. that's what sure that, those are the people that make the the wheels go. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. It, it it was fine, but it's just in you know I don't I don't know what I'm going to do in that sense of my life. I don't even know if I'm going to pursue looking for someone to represent my art again. Um, but I'm going to keep making art. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. you know, the, uh, I've been obsessed with this question and we'll wrap up with it, but how do you know when you're done? When you die. When you, when you die, just keep going. I mean, done on a particular project yeah, or a particular I should cut you off there, but no, yeah, no, no, no. I, and, and, and <laughs> your answer is true. <laughs> I'm just thinking you're and, you're, and you may not know it at that point. That's true. It could be at any moment, <laughs> but like you're fiddling the, with something the and, end of epistemology. and how do you know when, when, when it, you got it? Cause you seem like the mm-hmm. kind of person and, and I'm largely the kind of person you could keep fiddling for yeah. days or weeks yeah. and, and you get to the point where you're, you're actually maybe even fighting yourself, right? You know what oh, I mean? Sure. You're, you're making changes. You're making it Overworking worse. Overworking it. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Um, do you, I, I talked to a friend of mine, uh, my film editor friend, who I ended up re-recording the thing with the other day, Molly, and I said, how do you know? What, you know, if I give you footage and you have a week or you have mm-hmm. a month or you have a year, am I going to get a different product out of a week, a month, or a year? Like, how do you know right. when you're done? And she said, when it stops being interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Is it is it similar to you? Because interest seems like it's got to be a lot of with the ADD and all the rest. Of it. yeah. It's like if it's not interesting, then it's it's gone. Right. No. I well, I think it depends on how you define interest. But like, there are times when, especially like with sculpture, you you know planning stuff out, and then you try this, and you know, I, like I said, I don't draw anything, but I get to a place where I can see the path ahead of me. Yeah. And then that can become task oriented, and yeah. so that the interest may wane at that point. Um, Wait, it gets less interesting when it comes down to actually doing the Once you get to, once you sort of see the finish line and know that like what you're doing now is not so much a discovery process as much as a, a, you know, like a a, a checklist that can happen in sculpture, especially with wood stuff, you know, 
It can get sort of shop oriented. Yeah, at times. I gotta I gotta cut these thirty things and glue this stuff together. And exactly, it's gonna take four hours. I don't want to do and it. And you can sort of get so the interest yeah. can wane. But then, I mean, that's finishing the piece. That's where that the craft comes into art, yeah. I suppose. And, Real and, artist and ship, the pain right? in the ass. That's yeah. crap. <laughs> no, craft. Um, I think the way that you know, I think I learned the answer to that question. I think I'm still learning where I learned how to recognize what you're talking about. How to recognize that occurrence was in drawing. Uh, at, I studied, like I said, I studied illustration and animation. I was really interested in animation, but I wanted to stay, I wanted to keep drawing. I was, I learned so much from drawing and specifically drawing the figure. And, you know, it has no end game other than observe, continual observation, um, and, and seeing three dimensions, three seeing form and, and, and translating this through your brain into something you're making, which yeah. is ultimately, you know, arguably the entirety of the art process yep. in a very short form. Um, drawing, there was always this time when it was kicking ass, it was going, and then suddenly you'd be like, shit, and you'd be digging on it and the charcoal and the eraser and like it was, you were losing it and you were overworking it. Yep. And we learned like, you know, that our professors would say, careful, careful, yep. and you want to walk to that yep. edge and stop right before you yeah, do. Yeah. And the second the the charcoal stroke or the eraser stroke right before you overwork it, it's probably pretty beautiful yeah. or isn't going to get beautiful. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then boom, it's over. You've overworked it and you can never get it back. Yep. And I think doing that 5 or 600 times, you start to learn the most important tool any artist ever has ever in her life ever or his life or their life ever, which is learning how to trust yourself. And so you know it's done when it fits your criteria of when something is done. Yeah. And the only way to define that is by do by passing that mark five, six hundred, a thousand times. And then you recognize every medium, you know, like when I cook a steak, I know when it's done a certain way. When I'm making a dumpster-sized art installation, I know when it's done another. But it's like really, really working very hard to build whatever personal system of trust in yourself and trusting yourself is. And then it's just like, it sounds corny to say, but it's intuitive after 10,000 hours of work. Yeah, exactly. This is fun. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for having me.